Thank you, Paul and Don and Mark. Uh, I want to read a text that I got early this morning uh, to you um, from April Smith. Uh, she uh, sent this text. So the cancer I had in my esophagus has uh, metastasized in my brain. On Wednesday, I had emergency brain surgery. I am home now from the hospital. I still have about six tumors in my brain, and I will be starting radiation therapy uh, when my head heals. Thank you uh, for all the prayers. Please continue to pray for our family. Our problems are scary. So, um, obviously, we need to be in prayer for uh, April and her family. Um, Lindsay Jones is home, and that's a blessing, and I know there's still some recovery that's needing to take place. Uh, Paul Jenkins lost his brother. He's the last surviving sibling of his brothers. They were always very close. Uh, Britt, his older brother, 77 years old. The rosary will be Wednesday, visitation and rosary from 5 to 8 at Hillier. And uh, the service will be at 11 o'clock Thursday morning at St. Joseph's. So uh, obviously those are people that uh, need uh, our immediate uh, attention. Pam Thompson is having uh, reconstructive surgery from her breast cancer this Thursday. So again, uh, just keep them uh, in, in your uh, prayers. On a good note... Um, We've got uh, three couples that are about to, their lives are about to change. We've got some new babies, Chad and Brittany. He was at the men's breakfast yesterday. It was outstanding. We had over 20 men there, and uh, Chad was there. And uh, she's due Memorial Day, but they think the baby's going to come early, uh, and so look forward to that. Justin and Brooke, Ken and Brink, and that is June 18th. Uh, looking forward to that. And then Jeff and Valerie Durham, and that will be in August. So we've got always... Of something and someone to be praying for, concerned, thankful. And so again, just to keep them in your prayers. We, we certainly have a lot to pray for. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to read one verse this morning um, out of chapter 4, verse 15. Kind of do a recap or some information to get us up there real quick. Uh, and then issue you, I hope, a challenge from God in his, his sola scripture, his only word. So Paul writes to the Ephesians in verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 15, but speaking the truth in love, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Even Christ, speaking the truth in love. If you go back to that uh, passage, one of the passages that uh, Paul read in, in uh, Matthew in chapter 12, the scripture very clearly says uh, that we're going to be judged for every word that comes out of our mouth. Uh, we will either be justified or judged and condemned. Those are his words. And I want you to reflect back on some of those verses as we get through the message. Uh, I brought up here, this is a, it's one of those little recorders, you know, where you could just 
go, if you get older and you're driving down the road and you have a thought uh, that maybe you want to remember for some reason, maybe a message or uh, just something you need to be doing, man, you can turn that on and you can just, and you have a recorded record of it. Now, I want you to imagine something. I want you to imagine walking in to a classroom. Uh, and for me personally, it was Abilene Christian University. I was working on my degree uh, in biblical studies. And on the whiteboard up there, uh, the professor had wrote in large letters with quotes, speaking the truth in love. And this was the last semester of the College of Biblical Studies before they would give us a, a certificate or a degree and what they called a certificate of readiness um, to go into ministry. And so we all had to have a recorder, and we had to go for one week from a Monday till that Monday, and every single conversation we had, every single conversation, every word we spoke that week, we had to record. Everyone. That was the assignment. Now, the assignment was going to entail quite a bit more, but the initial step so let me ask you, so there were 15, there were 14 men, a young lady in that class. We were really all bound together for a number of reasons, but uh, we were all in our senior year and uh, pursuing a degree in Bible. And, and then this assignment really bound us together because we all came back that week and we had to share our similarity. What happened? Now, what do you think? Now, if I ask you, if the assignment was yours, you had to carry a recorder around and every, comp Betty's got, <laughs> you don't like that idea, do you? What would your findings be? Well, they were all very similar. First of all, it um, made us all very uncomfortable. Uh, secondly, it made everybody else that we were in, it made them uncomfortable. Because we would tell them. Now, during that week, all the scenarios that you would go into the grocery store, getting gas, Little League baseball coach, you know, that's an interesting thing. Um, conversations with your wife, uh, anything and everything that you could experience that week. And not only did it make you a little uncomfortable, uh, it made the people around you uncomfortable. i give you an example. I had gotten gas, and I had forgotten... I didn't pull out of the, where you get your gas at the pump, walked in, got something else and uh, paid, was walking out. And there was a guy behind me and he was really angry. And I had my little recorder. And uh, he said, well, excuse me. He said, don't you think that's awfully rude? I said, oh, I don't, wait a second. And he said, what are you doing? I said, no, I'm at least, that was he said, you know, you could have, all you had to do was pull up, but you made me sit out here and wait. He was, you know, justifiably. I mean, I mean, all I did, I mean, I wasn't being sensitive. I wasn't being thoughtful. Got my gas, you know, I was going to, and then I said, so, oh, hey, wait a second, because this guy really was, I said, I'm recording, I'm, uh, I'm getting, <laughs> and I was talking like that. I said, I'm getting a degree, pursuing a degree in Bible, and he probably thought, yeah, you need one. Uh, and so, and I said, I've been called, I have to record all my conversations, and I'm not, he, he said, and then he started laughing. And we both started laughing. And uh, in fact, he even told me, well, I go to such and such church and I'm a Christian. We actually prayed. I mean, that was just, but he was angry and I was stupid. And, and, uh, but that was just one example. But through the whole process, you also found that people, once they knew, you said, okay, I have to record these, I'm just doing this. Very awkward, very uncomfortable. 
Uh, it would also, it, it made you conscious of what you were saying, obviously. All of a sudden now, all the things in the casual words that we just speak through the course of a week, all of a sudden you can't, oh, oh. I have to reword that. I'm going to have to say that maybe a little differently. I'm going to have to, and those words speaking, what? What does it say? Speaking the truth in love. I'm recording this for a Bible class. And not only did it make me measure my words, think about them more carefully, the people that were in conversation with me, it also shortened conversations. <laughs> the conversations became a little shorter. And so you can imagine, and I could go on, all of our, and I'm just telling you, what if you had to do that? I mean, you know, uh, we would probably all be a little more thoughtful, a little bit more considerate, a little bit more sensitive. Uh, really careful about the words that we say and how we spoke them. And so here's a challenge that Paul issues to the Ephesians. Now, if you read the end of the book, well, prior to that, Paul, he's a prisoner. He is a prisoner. He writes Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians uh, as a prisoner. He, he's been falsely accused and arrested and He's appealed his case as a Roman citizen to go before Caesar because he feels like he has an opportunity to present the gospel, even though he's been falsely accused. So he's a prisoner, and uh, his imprisonment took a lot of different journeys over a number of years before he finally gets to Rome, and he gets his head cut off. So, But prior to that, he writes this letter to the Ephesians. Now, he knew the Ephesians. He had spent at least two years with them. You can read about it in the book of Acts. And he's got a companion with him. If you go to the end of the book, a fellow by the name of Tychicus. If you go to chapter 6 and 21, he says, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything known to you. And I've sent him to you for this purpose so that you may know about us and that he may comfort your hearts. So he had a companion. He had several companions in his imprisonment. Uh, they knew he, he was sending Tychicus to them. But I will say this to you, uh, writing letters is a lost art. Uh, we text and we email and stuff like that and we communicate through social media, but we don't sit down anymore, Scott, and just write letters. Very deep. Well, see, I, no, I don't believe in coincidence. You're not on Facebook. You don't have a cell phone. I believe Scott sits down and writes letters. And uh, so, but I want you to imagine being, this was probably around 62, 63 AD, some 30 years after the death, burial, and resurrection, uh, and Paul writes a letter to Christians that he loved. And he had taught with them daily, for, lived and taught with them daily for two years. Now he's an old man, he's in prison, and he sends a faithful minister to encourage the people that he loved. I want you to imagine sitting in the congregation 2,000 years ago and having this letter read to you. What would, how would it impact you? The whole letter, the entire letter is based upon verse 3 of chapter 1. The whole letter. The whole letter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. From that verse to the very last verse, Paul is proving that statement. He's proving it. He didn't just make the statement. He clarifies the statement. 
So if you didn't ever know what biblical blessings were, you could just start right there because I think we have a very wrong thinking and use of the word blessing. If you want to know what spiritual, biblical, Christian blessings are, it is noted and diagrammed in the book of Ephesians. And it starts, and I've said this before, very quick recap. If you go in chapter one and you just highlight he, him, his, himself, himself, he uses the personal pronoun as it refers to God in Christ more in this series of verses than anywhere in the Bible. You just go very quickly. I'm not going to read them all. Makes the statement about every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And then he starts, just as he, God, chose us in him, Christ, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love, God in love. He predestined us, God, uh, us to adoption of his sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will. So if you diagram that and you took a highlighter and just did him, his, him, if you wanted to know, again, just if you said, okay, if somebody come to you and said, you're a Christian, what has God done for you? Everything you need to know about what God has done for you is in the first chapter of Ephesians. Everything, everything. And in fact, in this first chapter concerning what God has done for you and for all of us, you can literally as though you had a wagon wheel in the hub, you could put chapter one of Ephesians and you could literally diagram the entire Bible, Genesis through Revelation, that supports the statements that God has done for us through Jesus Christ. So first chapter. Second chapter, it begins, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked. And then you just go, verse three, among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. So if you go to the second chapter, he shifts. God, he, him, himself, personal pronouns, God and Christ, everything he did for us, and then the second chapter is you, me, us, we. It is the gospel. God did everything, all these things, through Jesus, his son, for us. People that were dead in our trespasses and sins. People that were sons of disobedience. People who lived in the lust of our flesh. Indulging the desires of the flesh. And we were children of wrath. So... God, through Jesus, did this for us. These are the blessings, even though we were dead in our sins. And so then the third chapter, he shifts again. He said, verse 1, For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, and you read the rest, and his response then goes from he and him and himself to uh, we, you, uh, us, to I and me. And all Paul is doing, as the letter is written, as they're reading, and they're being reminded of the spiritual blessings that manifest himself from heaven in our life, he's just saying, remember, God did this for you through son, even though you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Now, this is key, church. Most of us could go that far in our theology, in our doctrine, in our Christianity. Most of us could go that far. Most of us could say, yep. Jesus Christ, man, God saved me through his son, even though I was a sinner, and praise God. Wouldn't it be great if we could then take that information and transfer it into a heart 
the heart that Paul has, that we're supposed to have. So now that should manifest itself. It should be a for this reason. Most powerful verses, teaching verses that Paul uses in all of his letters is the term for this reason. He makes a statement. This is what's happening. This is what happened. This is how it happened. And for this reason, there is a response. And his response and your response and my response should be, man, he did it. He saved me. A wretch like me. Amazing grace. He did it. Ah, a wretch. He did. And then it should be the 107th Psalm. The entire 107th Psalm is one story after another about somebody who is in a wretched place and God saved them. And it says, and so let us give thanks to his loving kindness. Let us proclaim to men the wonderful works of God. Paul is saying that. Then chapter four, he gets through everything that he's now doing because of what God has done for him through Christ. In chapter 4, verse 1, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you've been called. So if you believe that God saved you through his son, blessed you, it was predetermined, you have an inheritance, you have redemption, even though you're a sinner, and the reason now that I live is to serve him because of that, and then... The motivation is what? A calling. I'm going to ask you this. If you believe all that, what's the manner in which you walk? If you say you're a Christian and you believe every blessing that you have came from God through Jesus, even though you were dead in your sins, and I'm going to live my life according to that, If you don't know what that looks like, Paul begs you to know. He said, I therefore the prison of the Lord beg you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling of which you've been called. For Paul, that was one thing. And he's simply saying this, I'm begging you to live in a manner worthy of the cross. The calling was the voice of Jesus from the cross. It's been another abused word, but if you'll do the etymology of the word and go through the studies, the calling for the Christian, the voice that calls you and I home, the voice that calls you and I to repentance, the voice that calls you and I to ministry, the voice that defines love was on the cross. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So now, if you read this correctly because Paul's audience understood it, I therefore, the prison of the Lord, beg you to walk in a manner worthy of the cross. Are you walking in a manner worthy of the cross? Am I walking in a manner worthy of the cross? Are we walking in a manner worthy of the cross? And if you don't know what that is, then he gives you the stations of the cross. Verse 2, with all humility. Name a more humble act than the cross. If you don't know how to live according to the cross, it starts with humility. Gentleness, he could have called 10,000 angels. Patience. Have you ever seen a more patient six hours in the life of anybody in all of creation in the six hours that he was dying on that cross. We think we're patient. We get impatient if the McDonald, the orders to the drive-thru takes longer than eight minutes. 
His blood is flowing out of his body. He's whipped, beaten, scarred, spit upon. And he was the picture of patience. How about this? Being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Verse 3. Being diligent. To what? To, you want unity in the spirit in the bond of peace. I could preach a month. Then he just talks about the superiority of Christ. One thing else was established on that cross. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who's over all and through all and in all. And then he says, because of the cross and because of what God did for us, even though we were sinners, and my personal response to that, and, and if you don't want it is, just live in a manner worthy of the cross, then what does he do? He reminds you, but, but, if you're having a problem with that, Verse 7, but to each one of us, grace was giving according to the measure of Christ's gift. If you are saved by the grace of God, but God being rich in his mercy, he saved us, not on the basis of anything that we've done. You've been saved by grace through faith, that not of yourself, lest no man boast. And if you believe that and you say, oh my, I, I, I need to be responsible to that. And if I didn't know how to do it, I'm going to live according to the cross. And it's humility and gentleness and patience and forbearance and this unity and the bond of the spirit and the peace. And there's one God who has established it all. And I can see it everywhere. I can just now see it. And if I'm not sure about how that's going to manifest it in myself, in my life, some, God did something else. In, in relationship to that, God gave you, according to grace, a measure, a measure, this grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. So as a gift, Zane, the greatest gift that you will ever receive in your life, you will never receive any gift like it. You could never receive a gift. Jesus would say on the Sermon on the Mount, and that you and I, being evil fathers, know how to give good gifts to our children, but how much more the Father who is in heaven. You'll never receive no gift. If you said, this is the best gift that I ever received, the best gift that you'll ever receive is when Jesus Christ said, I'm going to save that sinner. I'm going to save him. <sighs> and, and salvation looks like the cross. And now I'm going to give, I'm going to measure out a gift, David. I'm going to measure it out. Man, wait, hey, do you ever think about the impact of that verse? We, we measure stuff all the time. Wouldn't you like Christ to be the measuring standard? I might give you something. I might measure something to give you. I'll never, my measurements will never match up to Christ. It's what he did. And so then you just work through this thing. And then he says, the next step in the process is equipping. So verse 31, he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints of the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. So all of this is moving towards something. And, and as God has saved you in spite of your sin and you felt compelled to do something about it and you're going to live your life according to the cross and he has now given you, he's measured grace into your life and now you are still in your flesh and I'm still in my flesh and we're still in our flesh. And he says, man, I have, uh, I have determined, I have called out the ecclesia. 
I have called out a people, a special people. He has always done it. His, the Jewish uh, people, the nation of Israel, now the church. He had just said the manifold wisdom of God is now made known through the church. And as he has saved us to work on his behalf, he, he, he is, he's, he's equipping us, and he does it. One of the biggest problems that we faced in our Christianity is that we have glad, we've joyfully accepted the fact that he saved me. And we'll even admit that I'm a sinner. I needed saving. Then our flesh probably keeps us from really selling out to serve him. And then we stopped and we don't fully understand the need. I've got to be equipped to manage this. But it's here. And so verse 14. All this is supposed to happen for some reason. From the day you were born to the day you die, there is a result manifesting itself, good and bad. Results are a fact. You make bad choices, you have bad results. You make deceptive choices, you have deceptive results. You make loving choices, you have loving results. If you understand the gospel in its entirety, Something is supposed to happen as you're being equipped, as you're living your life according to the cross, indebted to God, obligated to God for what he's done. You should really, truly be able to survive any storm that comes your way. He ends the Sermon on the Mount with, he who hears these words of mine and practices them is like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. And when the storms came and the winds blew, it stood. You won't be carried away by every wind of doctrine, the trickery of men, and the craftiness of deceitful scheming. But here, but if I'm equipped and I can't be tossed around, but something happens. Speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all aspects, italics, into him who is the head, italics, even Christ. Measure yourself. What would it look like if you walked around all week recording everything that you spoke? We're not even talking about the conversations that are going up in here. We're just talking about any conversation. Would you say that it was speaking the truth in love? Well, you could know why or you could know how because he tells you if you're speaking the truth in love, you're growing up in all aspects into him. Word aspects. Great biblical Greek word. This particular bridge in this work, emphasis, means that you look into, you literally look into the dimensions of Christ. What are the dimensions of Christ? Well, you could say one dimension is creator. Just go to Genesis chapter 1 and Colossians chapter 1. 
It says in Colossians, Paul said, everything was created by him and through him and for him. Read the creation accounts. So he's creator. Genesis. A dimension, one of the aspects, looking into the aspects of Christ is creator. It says, he, Romans chapter 1, it says that you and I, every one of us is going to be without an excuse. We will never have an excuse. We will never be able to speak a truth or speak anything to Christ in defense of ourselves, even if you've never heard the word, because even the invisible attributes of God have now been made known through the creation. None of us will have an excuse. So he's creator. There's a dimension. He's the son of God. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. That's a dimension. He's the son of man. He's hundred percent God. He's hundred percent man. And yet the writer of Hebrews would say, even though he was a man, hundred percent man, he was tempted in all things. And yet he did not sin. Now, it would do you well, it would do me well, it would do all of us well if you would look into Christ and you would then start writing the dimensions, the aspects. Are you growing up into all the dimensions and the aspects of Christ? Because you're either growing up into or growing down into a grave that is eternal and damnation and judgment. We just read it in, in that gospel of Matthew, hard words, by the way. I had Paul pick those, I picked those words out for Paul to read this morning. I would challenge you to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And I would challenge you just to look at the red letter words of Jesus. And then I would challenge you to say, and we also threw one in from John the Baptist. Would you say, I just gave you a handful of verses. Will you say that he spoke those things in love? Did he speak the truth in love? Woe to you, you brood of vipers. Jesus never, ever, ever, ever spoke a word that wasn't speaking the truth in love. And it didn't look like anything Hollywood produce produces and it didn't look like anything that a secular poet or songwriter would produce. We have a flesh fabricated definition of love. God always speaks the truth in love. Now, does that mean you and I have the right to speak harshly to someone because Jesus was very harsh. He called the Syrophoenician woman a dog, a woman that came and bowed down before him. And he did. He told a woman at a well. Would you evangelize somebody this way? You're looking for truth? I'll talk to you about truth. You've been married five times and the man you're living with is not your husband. He was speaking the truth in love. I could just go on and on. Find any of the red letter words of Jesus, then say, I don't think he was speaking the truth in love. Well, you couldn't say that. But then say, I don't, how could that be speaking the truth in love? That's our problem. You and I don't have the right to speak. We're not in a position to speak uh, specifically the way Jesus spoke. 
Because inasmuch as he has saved us and he has given us his Holy Spirit, we're still in our flesh. But it would do us well to look at his words and understand why he spoke the way he spoke. And every word that he ever spoke, as harsh as it may have seemed and as critical as it may have seemed, and it was always the truth in love. Always. And what it was intended for, if you go to 2 Timothy 3.16 or Romans in chapter 12 and 2 Timothy 3.16, and if you go to John in chapter 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is that Word. The, the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword, and the right it can, it can separate flesh and the bone. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scriptures God inspired, inspired by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ. For what? For rebuke, for reproof. For the training of man of righteousness so that he can serve God. And, and, and then you go back and you read that Matthew 12 chapter. And you go to James and we talk about the tongue. And it, we can put a bit in the mouth of a horse, but the same mouth that we bless, we curse. These are, these are, these are the most important things that you and I will ever determine in our life. If we believe everything that God did for us through Jesus Christ, if we believe it, and then we believe that he did it even though we were dead in our trespasses and sins and we were children of wrath and we were indulging in the desires of our flesh and we were sons of disobedience. But God, but God, being rich in mercy, he saved us. And I'm obligated to him. And I want to live my life in a manner worthy of the cross. And I need to be equipped, and God has given provision for equipping me. But, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in all of the dimensions into Christ. Are you doing that? Or are you just Christian by name alone? Are you Christian by your standard or what you think grace and salvation is? There's a great recorder that's taking place. And then he finishes the statement. Who is the head? Italics, even Christ. Now, we'll finish here. They knew what he meant. This is one of the greatest or flyover verses in the Bible. You're just reading the Bible. You're studying. You want to study the predestination. You study the inheritance and the predetermining. You study all the theology in chapter 1 of Ephesians. You want to study salvation by grace alone. Grace alone. Second chapter of Ephesians. And you get to the third chapter and, you know, and you could just fly right over this verse. You know, okay. I'm supposed to be equipped so that I can't be thrown around, tossed here and there by waves and, and carried about by every wind of doctrine. 
by the trickery of men and by the craftiness of deceitful scheming. And I just keep it. But speaking of, I could just read it and think, okay, Paul's tired. He's old. He's getting blind. He's just finishing some stuff out here. This is it, folks, right here. And what he does to emphasize all this, he makes this statement, who is the head, even Christ. Now, they did not read it the way you and I just read it. They did not read it that way. They read it this way. But speaking the truth in love, truth, they understood it was Jesus. I, we read the passage this morning, John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Read it this way. But speaking Jesus, which means God saves the salvation of God, but speaking the truth, but speaking the salvation of God, God saves in love. God is love. So read it this way. But speaking the Jesus in God, we're to grow up in all dimensions into him, creator, son of God, son of man, judge, judge, and on and on and on, growing up in all the dimensions into him, looking into it, who is the head? Now get this, even Christ, even Christ. We read that. What did they read? What did they know? They're, they're hearing this letter. They're, that, that word even Christ meant even the anointed king of Israel. Every time they read Christ, every time they spoke Christ, every time they said Christ, we say Christ and we see the image of a man. That's not what they see. They hear and they see the reality of that man, and that is the anointed king of Israel. Now, look at the dimensions of Christ, even as the anointed king of Israel. Israel is the people who strive with God. They knew that they're supposed to speak the truth in love, speak Jesus into God, growing up into every dimension that is him, even the anointed king of Israel, nobody in this room has any idea what a king is. Nobody here, is, I don't think, has ever lived under a king. We, we don't even respect our presidents unless they're the ones we voted for. We do not respect authority in this country. We don't respect the authority of the politics, political. We don't. We should. One of speaking the truth in love and the word of God, it says that all authority in heaven and earth has been established by God, even evil kings. Peter says, submit yourself to the king. Evil king. Any king. They're not king unless God appoints them. We don't do that. We're arrogant. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm not going to live my life according to the cross. I have my rights as an American citizen. I have freedom of speech. Really? As a Christian, you do not have freedom of speech. God never gave you and I freedom of speech. But we think we do. We're more American than Christian many times. So we speak a truth, but it's not in love. We speak a truth, our truth, not the truth of Jesus, in the things that we love, which is mostly self. This is true. And it's terrible. And it infests the church. And so we don't speak to Jesus and God growing up in every aspect that was him. 
who is the head, even the anointed king of Israel. You know what the anointed king of Israel did the night he was betrayed? He got on his hands and feet and washed the feet of the men that were going to betray him. Even the anointed king of the people who strive with God. The next time you and I think that God has saved me, and yeah, I was a sinner. Jesus said, who, who, the person who thinks that he was forgiven little is thankful for little. But he who understands that he was, oh, he was saved from terrible sin. He loves much. He gives up his rights. Just like Jesus did. He lives according to the cross. And humble and gentleness and patience. He can speak the Jesus and God. Growing up into every dimension, even the king, the king, the anointed king of Israel. Now, I want you to consider that. I, 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 uh, I always look for examples of that in my life, in the flesh. So uh, Colton, Stasny, and I, uh, we go at 5.30 in the morning, we go to the Bryan Boxing Club and at 5.30 to 6.30 and we, we go and we work out and it's a boxing workout and it's been a blessing. And I never believe in coincidence, it happened this Monday. So we're in this boxing gym. It stinks. It's a gym. It's a nasty boxing gym. It's 5.30 in the morning and the coach there, I love the guy, he's a great guy. Guy, he's a new Christian. God's doing a great work in his life. And uh, he plays music. He has a music thing. And that morning, the first time ever, and it was Colton's first time there, uh, normally he just kind of plays music, you know. I, but he was playing hip-hop and rock, I mean, hard music, rap, hip-hop. There's about 15, 20 of us in there, and, and, and Colton's 15, and one of the moms has her daughter go with her. She's 12, you know, and, and it, was, it was speaking some kind of truth, but it wasn't in love. It was certainly truth in love with men and who the things and the, what, the, what they want, and it was very clear, and it was very loud, and it was very expressive. So there's a professional boxer there. His name's Adam Elioyam. And he works out by himself. He has a fight June, I think, 18th. He's 42 years old. And he is just a fabulous guy. He's fabulous. And I, I've never seen a machine like him. That guy, I don't believe there's any body fat at all. I mean that. And he'll work out for 45, 50 minutes and just all this very hard to work. And then he'll get on a treadmill and he'll put his at six or seven at eight. And he's running for like 20 minutes shadow boxing without even missing. And the sweat's pouring off of him. And he's got earbuds in. And he's listening to sermons. And he and I have made a real good friendship. And I just admire him because he lives in this world of testosterone and machismo and so we had Colton and I had to wait. We were going to visit with Coach Perry and and uh, and everybody had left. So it's just Colton and me and Adam. 
We've got to get some things squared away. And I look over there, and Adam is on his hands and his knees. He's a professional boxer. A lot of testosterone. God's church has way too much testosterone. But a lot of testosterone. He's on his hands and knees, and he is wiping down that entire treadmill, wiping it down. He's just worked out for an hour and a half, and his workout is brutal. Everybody else leaves their water bottles. Man, we paid to be a member here. We, we paid for this. I'm not going to clean up after myself. Well, I had a hard workout. I'm tired. Well, I got to get to, you know. And we just leave the gym, and this man is on his hands and his knees. This man speaks the truth in love. I've known him for several months now. He says Christian, he lives Christian. He wasn't drawing attention to himself. He, he didn't have, nobody required him to clean that machine. But not only was he just casually wiping it down, he was cleaning it. I saw Christian. I heard Christian. He was speaking the truth in Christ. I've never heard him say a foul word. I've never seen him berate or gossip, or run anybody down. Speak even badly about someone. And I thought to myself, oh, Aubrey, there's a man living his life worthy of the cross. There's a man. And I told Colton, this is the point. I said, Colton, where you at, Colton? He's back there in the booth. I said, what kind of man is that? That's a Jesus man. That's a Jesus man. And you know why? Because he's living his life according to the cross. And he's speaking Jesus in God. In word and deed. And he's doing it because of that man and what he did on that cross. Let's pray. Father in heaven, help us to speak Jesus, in you. Help us to speak your salvation in love. Help us to speak God with us in love. Help us to walk in a manner worthy of the cross. Oh, Father, give us a desire to be equipped. Give us a desire to be equipped. Destroy every ungodly stronghold in us that keeps us from living in a manner worthy of the cross, speaking the truth in love. Help us, Father. Help us by the power of your Spirit in the spoken and living name of Jesus. Amen.